0: Thank you for listening to the Sermon Podcast for Salem Heights Church. We meet weekly at 9 and 11 a.m. For more information, visit SalemHeightsChurch.org. Well, good morning, church. Man, it is so good to see the room full. It's so good to have you here this morning. If you're a first-time guest, I just want to welcome you to our church. My name is Pete. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we are currently in a series on the topic of marriage. And so this morning, I wanna invite you, if you have a copy of God's word, to take out your Bibles and open them to the book of James in the New Testament. James chapter four is where we're going to be this morning. And we're gonna be continuing this series. And one of the things that I mentioned last week um, was that my heart's desire over these last couple of weeks as I've been preparing and praying and thinking of you and asking God to kind of clarify what it is that he'd have us think about my desire is that even though we're in a marriage series is that the things that we're talking about really apply to every relationship that we come in contact with god has created us to be in relationship and relationships are hard and so last week we talked a little bit about um, how our expectations need to be rooted in the spirit of god and how in our relationships oftentimes it's those unmet expectations that lead us To feel disappointment and sadness and pain, it leads to relational strife. And so this morning what I want us to do is I want us to be able to investigate the topic of conflict. What happens when we find ourselves in the middle of conflict? How should we respond? And so I've titled the message this morning, What Are You Fighting For? What are you fighting for? Last week I had a chance to interact with several of you after the services and and one of the things that uh, came up a couple of times was just how sometimes when we talk about this idea of being in a relationship where there is conflict, where there is a battle, when we're in a, a relationship that Maybe it is something that is, is hurting us or we, we're, we're experiencing trauma of some sort. We can hear these passages preached and we can look at God's word and, and we know that we can take God at his word. But what God's word is saying and what he is prescribing doesn't seem to actually meet us in the mess. I don't know if that's true for you. Sometimes when we come to church, we hear these things and the preacher will say these things about God's word and say, if you just do these things, if you just trust God's word, this is what God's word promises. And we go and we actually try to apply God's word to our life. We want to grab a hold of those promises and yet we don't necessarily see the impact that we think has been promised to us. What do we do in that situation? And so I just wanted to start off this morning by kind of making a couple of clarifying statements that I think are in the room to hopefully just settle us in so that we can maybe set aside some distractions and just allow God's word to speak to our hearts this morning. When we talk about relationship conflict, when we talk about being in a relationship where there might be some fighting, there might be some tension, uh, remember this series has been focusing on the topic of marriage. And what we're really trying to focus in on is What should two people do, whether they're married or not married, when they come in and there's conflict, what does the Bible say is the reason there is conflict, and what does the Bible say we should do to to remove that conflict? The implication here is that this is between two people who are both sinners, but their desire is ultimately not to stay in that conflict. Uh, These passages last week and this week have not been designed to be speaking about kind of a universal application to every relational issue that you might find yourself in. So being more specific, it is not biblical for a person who's in an abusive situation to just stay there and try to be godly. God does not expect the abuse to just take it. I want you to hear that. We know that there, abuse is a real thing. Having the opportunity and the privilege to walk alongside hurting people in our biblical counseling ministry. We know that, that abuse and neglect are real and God, is, he doesn't tolerate that. He's not for that. That is not his desire. Abuse is not a punishment for those of you who maybe made some poor decisions or maybe you think I brought this upon myself. That's not what the Bible tells us. And so if you are in a situation where you can't tell whether or not you're just in conflict or you are in an abusive situation, we want to tell you we're here to help you with that we have biblical counselors and pastors who would walk alongside you and try to help you navigate that because in our day and age, those terms of abuse and trauma and neglect are thrown around so easily, it's broadened the definition and it's made it very hard to necessarily tell what's happening in our relationships. But a biblical response to conflict doesn't mean that we should stay in an abusive relationship. I want to just say that right off the bat. But because of our experiences, sometimes we can doubt the effectiveness of what God's word says. And this morning, I believe we're gonna see in James chapter four, a pretty clear uh, explanation for why conflict exists in our relationships and what we should do when, when it does rear its ugly head. But I know, I know that this morning, that there is a spiritual force, an enemy, that does not want us to understand what God's word has to say about this topic. Yeah. The devil and all his demons, who do have some level of, of power and authority that God has still allowed him to, has granted them, even though he's defeated them on the cross and through the resurrection from the grave, has allowed him to continue to try to have his way. And one day he will put to end Satan's authority, Satan's power. Right now, he is throwing darts at you, some in this room who are stuck in conflict, who are sinking in your conflict. And he wants you to believe that everything that we're gonna see in God's word today absolutely can't work. I wanna encourage you, I wanna invite you, I wanna plead with you to not not believe the lie. Your experiences are real, your pain is, is legitimate. You can be in conflict, you can have been hurt, you can feel like something's unfair, you can feel like something is just, I don't know what to do, I'm stuck. And that does not mean that God's word is not true. That what God's word is saying is it won't work. Because think about this, if we choose not to accept what God has to say on the topic of conflict and how we resolve conflict or how we are to move forward in conflict, I believe that leaves us with only two other options and they're terrible options. If you don't take God's word, what you're left with when you face conflict is either to leave, meaning to divorce, to run away, or to accept it, and just take it and find yourself stuck in something that's so terrible. None of us want that. And yet oftentimes that's what our, we see in the world. And that influences us. And in fact, our flesh, when things get tough, what do we want to do? Oftentimes, like we said last week, we want to blow up, or we want to clam up. We want to get get out of there or we want to run away and, and hide and kind of pull back. But there's hope. Man, I, I've just been praying. I mean, I've been praying so much for this morning because... There's so much that's been said about conflict and there's been so much just divisiveness and conflict and arguing, not just in marriages, but just in our culture. <clears throat> and I want to focus on a reprimand of those who've caused conflict or the causes for conflict and make them personal. I just want to offer a hope today that, that Christ has come and part of the grace This undeserved favor that God has given us through Christ's death, burial, and resurrection says that you don't have to live like the rest of the world does. And even though you might be touched by conflict and touched by sin and your life might be impacted, you don't have to have the same attitude towards that that the world does. There's hope. See, I believe God offers help to us who are sinking and who are stuck. You might be in relational conflict right now and you're sinking This feeling like no matter what you do, you're just constantly at each other. You and your spouse, you just cannot get along. And if you're not married today, maybe it's with a family member or a coworker, someone important to you, and you just are in that, that kind of season or that kind of just this ongoing conflict and you're just sinking further and further. No matter what you try to do to try to mend the fence, it just keeps getting torn down and blown down. That's a pretty helpless feeling. And then there are those, some of us feel stuck. It's like, we've, we've fought so much. We've argued so much. We've disagreed about this for so long. We've just come to the point where we've agreed to disagree. And, and that's, you know, that's, you know, kind of a, a band-aid that makes it feel like, well, we're just going to try to ignore the issue. But yet there's no relational harmony. And so we're stuck. We don't, and we don't know where to go. We actually don't see the next step. Because every time we look to God's word and he says, you should do this, we start to do what we do we start to play it out in our mind the scenario well if i do this this is what they're going to say then i'm going to say this and they're going to do this and we just automatically talk ourselves out of following god's word and we're stuck do you know that god doesn't want you to st- sink or be stuck he doesn't want you to stink either <laughs> sometimes we hear about god's grace the gospel, the gospel, grace, grace, and we go, that's true, but I just don't understand how it impacts me because I don't see it changing my circumstances. Is that true for you? It's been true for me at times, but this is what I want us to focus on, and I kind of mentioned this last week. I want us to think about addressing conflict from a me-first perspective, not me-first like okay, my desires, my best interests, my wills, what we should focus on first, get that right, and then we can worry about your stuff. No, saying me first, let me be the first one that goes to God and confesses my sin and says, God, I need your help. Let me be the first one that places myself under God's sovereignty and his refining fire and say, God, you do in me what needs to be done to remove whatever I'm bringing to this conflict, and then allow me to be the first one to go and work towards reconciliation. See, God's grace must be first applied to our hearts before we can experience it in our relationships. It's not like, God, give me the grace I need to sprinkle on my relationship so it just fixes itself. No, he says, let me, let, me, let me show you my grace and then let that, watch how that'll just change supernaturally the conflict and the issues that are in your relationship. Now, I wanted to say something. As we talk about conflict this morning, as we read James 4, we're gonna get into that just a second here. I don't want this to seem simplistic. I've sat sometimes in services where uh, I just feel like, okay, I understand this, but that doesn't seem to address just the, the complexity of the issue I'm finding myself in. That sounds, yeah, that sure, that would work if my situation was this, if the issue between me and my was this, but it's not that, it's this, and this is way harder, and I just don't see how that will actually do anything. I understand that. I don't want these points and these things we're going to observe this morning to seem simplistic because conflict isn't simple. Every situation is complex. And most of the time, it's so hard to see beyond the hurt and the irritation and the offense that we've experienced. In fact, there's nothing that we're going to see in this passage this morning that says, if you do what God's word says, I promise you, your spouse will change but you will, you will, you will change. So this is where we're heading this morning. I just want to remind us where conflict comes from because so oftentimes we want to, we actually conclude the wrong thing when it comes to why is this conflict taking place? And then I want us to focus on what James tells us should be our response. And here's the big idea for this morning. We're all in fights. We all fight, okay? You fight. I fight but this is what I want us to try to think about this morning our fight must be for our marriage and not with our spouse our fight should be for our marriage and not with our spouse hopefully you found yourself to James chapter 4 would you stand with me in honor of God's Word as we read our passage this morning we're gonna read James chapter 4 verses 1 through 10 and I'm hoping and praying that you're anticipating to hear from the Lord as we read his word this morning. If you're ready, say ready. Ready. This is the word of the Lord. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit made, the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? And then verse six, man, I love verse six. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter turn to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you do you believe there's something in here for us this morning there is there is you may be seated father god as we turn our attention now to this topic of conflict help us to see it as you see it help us to be responsive to what you tell us to do when conflict arises in our relationships god we pray this in your son's name amen the first thing that james highlights here in verse one and two and three is that conflict with others starts within Conflict with others starts within. Most of the time when we get into a situation where we're in a fight with our spouse, our focus is on what they're doing wrong, how they're treating me unfairly, how I don't think what they're saying is an accurate portrayal of what I've done or who I am. Or they're taking something that I said and they're taking it differently than how I meant it. And so they're the problem, not me. Can you resonate with any of that? We see people come in and and they come in for counseling, marriage counseling, individual counseling. And oftentimes their first and number one objective is to come in and help me deal with this person. (laughs) Let me tell you why they have brought me to the point of having to come into counseling today. (laughs) And it's so hard for them to hear, well, let's talk about your heart. Let's talk about how you're doing. Look what it says here in verse 1. What is the source of wars and fights among you? Think about that term, wars and fights. James isn't just using kind of easy language. He's, he's calling it like he sees it. This is a serious thing. These things, even though they're little, in your relationship and in the context of your marriage, little things can become big things real quick. And think about wars, okay? These aren't just kind of competitions to see who comes out on top. Wars are meant to destroy the other person. We often shift the blame to others, but a conflict requires at least two people. So what James is talking about here is that there are two people engaged in a fight here. So many times we forget that, that the, the, that the, the problems in our marriage, the problems in our relationship are because of another person, but there would be no problem if it was just one person by themselves. The reason that it's a problem is that there's two sinful people engaged in relationship. They both need Jesus, they both need the Spirit of God to change their desires and their passions. So he asks the question, do you, why is there fighting among you? Isn't it because of your passions that wage war within you? This word passions comes from a Greek word hedone. Uh, the English word sometimes is translated hedonism. Hedonism is the idea or the philosophy that says, do whatever feels right. If it feels right, do it because it, that's what you're designed to do, just to give in to your passions. It, it's talking about a sinful desire, usually, in the scripture. And so he says, the reason that there is fighting is because inside of each of the two people that are engaged in that conflict, there are passions that are waging war. What are they waging war with? Well, it's the sin nature versus the spirit of God. And he goes on in verse two, he says, you desire and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and wage war. These statements here that you do not have and you covet because you cannot obtain. It's saying that there's actually your focus. The focus has become not on the spiritual things, not on God, not on honoring him. The reason why there is conflict in your relationship is because your attention has shifted from the creator to something that he has created. That you have elevated above him. And you want it so bad that you will... Annihilate. You will go to war with anybody who stands in your way from being able to achieve and receive and experience that pleasure. To focus on stuff. This is the common issue. And the reality is, God has given us good gifts in his creation that he wants us to enjoy, that he's given to us and he says, enjoy this without any kind of condemnation or guilt. And yet when we take that thing and we elevate it to be the most important thing we have messed with his creation and we have defamed him when we elevate creation over the creator so we can elevate our spouse over god we can elevate intimacy in our marriage over god we can elevate our kids over god we can elevate our financial security over god are there anything is there anything wrong with those things in themselves no but when we make them our god turns us into selfish, self-seeking pleasure seekers who will stop at nothing to get what they want. See, most conflict comes when someone else prevents us from getting what we want, when someone else stands in the way of us doing whatever we want. And in a marriage relationship, that's often directed at our spouse. These cravings are a result of sin. These passions came when man and woman sinned for the first time in the Garden of Eden. If you go back to Genesis chapter three, verse 16, as he starts to say, as God starts to explain to Adam and Eve now what is going to happen because of their disobedience, because of their sin. One of the things is there has been a change now in the relationship between husband and wife that wasn't what God created but was an effect of sin. It says your desire will be for your husband yet he will rule over you i love what the nelson bible commentary says as it kind of paraphrases what's actually being said here it says to the wife you will not have a tendency to dominate your husband and he will have a tendency to act as a tyrant over you marital conflict is the result of sinful behavior if it exists in your relationship it's because there's something simple there that needs to be dealt with it's not the result of the work of the spirit and the and the qualities that he produces in our life no it's the result of the works of the flesh that are self-seeking and so he says you the reason that you're fighting is because you you want these things that are not me and he goes on to say here you fight and you wage war and then he makes this interesting statement. He says, you do not have because you don't ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motive so that you would spend it on your pleasures. When we start to focus on earthly things and make those things the most important thing, when we, our desires and our pleasures take the, the preeminent spot in our hearts and minds, what happens is, is we begin to try to do it on our own. We don't, we don't talk to God. We're not looking to God. We're not asking God for help. And he's saying... Here, here is this relationship I have with you. I want to provide everything you need for life and godliness. I want to guide your steps. I want to set you free from those fleshly desires that lead to death and place in you new desires that lead to life. But you're not even coming to me anymore because you're so focused on something outside of me. But then he gives another kind of characteristic. He says sometimes you will actually come to me and you'll ask me for things. But you're not going to receive them. Why? Because you're asking with the wrong motives. Because your motives are to get something from God just to satisfy your fleshly desires. You want to use God's resources to fulfill your sinful desires. God doesn't doesn't honor that. And so our conflict, it starts within. This is such a major thing to understand. This does not excuse the behavior of your spouse or loved one. This does not say it's okay for them to treat you however they want to treat you, and you should just take it. But what it's saying is if there's conflict, that means that there's two people who are engaged who both have sinful desires. And as long as they're going to hold on to their sinful desires, they're going to continue to wage war at each other because getting that is more important than loving each other, serving each other, sacrificing for each other. And so understanding this reality is key to us saying, hey, the first thing I need to do, rather than get offended or try to correct my spouse or correct that loved one or tell that friend why they need to do what I'm saying, I need to look inside my own heart. What's driving my motivations? What's driving my speech? What's driving my nonverbal body language? What's causing my behavior? Because we can actually even do good things for selfish reasons. We can try to say loving things and and do good things as a good spouse or a good friend or a good son and daughter with the hope that by doing this they'll give me what i want so i can fulfill those selfish desires james is saying god's not fooled by that but here's what we think oftentimes when conflict and fighting is going on in our relationships we say it's this person they're making me so mad But what James goes on to tell us next is that our struggle is ultimately with God, not that person. Look what he says in verse 4. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? So whoever wants to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? James says friendship with the world here. What does he mean by that? Friendship with the world is when I focus on and I love the world more than my. I love God. That my focus on what the world has to offer or, or a relationship or security or comfort or acceptance or significance or all the things we can gain from a relationship is more important to me than receiving all those things from our Heavenly Father. He says, those who pursue those things become an enemy of God. This is not God's designation for them. This is their choice. That their attitude of a rebellious spirit has led them to see God as an adversary to satisfying their pleasures. Man, do you hear the hiss of the serpent there? Think about it. If we go back to the origination of conflict, back to the Garden of Eden, where original sin entered the human race. The serpent comes in Genesis chapter three and listen to these three statements. Did God say you can't? No, you will not die. In fact, God knows. What is the serpent trying to convince Eve of? Hey, God's ways are restrictive and God cannot be trusted and he's holding back his best from you. This is what he's trying to do to us today. He's trying to convince us that to follow God is restrictive and and you can't trust God. And honestly, there there is something out there that you know, because who knows what you need better than you. The devil's going to try to inflate that point of view and say, there's actually a better way to do this. There's actually a better relationship to go pursue. There's actually something out there that will make you more happy. He says, ultimately, when we're in conflict, we can direct it at our spouse. We can direct it at a loved one. We can direct it at a friend. But ultimately, our problem is with God because something that we're not getting is being restricted. And ultimately, we're saying, I want that thing more than I want to submit to you, God. More than I want to just serve you. More than I want to live my life for you. So my irritation is really, I'm not satisfied with the life you provided. I'm not satisfied with what you've gifted me with and called me with and what you've placed in my life. I'm not satisfied with this life. I want something else. And so I'm irritated at you. So when we are struggling and we're fighting, really, we can direct it at other people. But ultimately, this is a heart issue that goes back to how we see God and what we're living for. What is our chief desire? Is it to glorify God? Or is it to glorify ourselves? And then he asks this question in verse five. Do you think it's without reason that the scripture says the spirit he made to dwell in us envies intensely? James here saying throughout the Bible, throughout the scriptures that had already been written at this time, he said it, it's consistently seen that, that God is a jealous God and, and we don't think of jealousy when it comes to God in this sinful way, but he's saying he desires your absolute loyalty. He desires that you would have no other loves. He desires that. So we think about that, our is ultimately with God. I mean, look what he says there at the beginning of verse four, you adulterous people. Think about that. Just consider for a second. Let the weight of that hang on you for just a moment. That to say, I want this thing. And that's my passion. That's going to drive my motivation and drive my energy. And this thing is not God that he considers that adultery because you've lifted up something else and you've made that your God. You've made that your source of security, that your source of salvation, that your source of why you live, your source of identity outside of God. He says, that's that's like adultery. It's a heavy thing. And then we get to verse 6. I love verse 6. But every time we see that that word but, man, there's something good typically that comes right after that. He gives a greater grace. Amen. Amen. He gives a greater grace. What James goes on to say here is our third point that god 's grace makes reconciliation possible. This word reconciliation is a is an interesting word we don 't necessarily hear it a lot uh, as we don 't we don't usually use it in probably in our normal everyday speech, but the word reconciliation talks about uh, two people who were at odds, and it wasn 't just like they had a disagreement, there was real like strife between them and, and a lot of times when reconciliation is used it 's meant to be like there is hatred enmity is the the fancy word between these two people and reconciliation is something has happened where that cause of frustration or that cause of conflict is removed and allows those two people to move back towards friendship or harmony or unity that's what christ did for us our sin drove a wedge between us and god but god loved us so much he sent his son into the world To do what had to be done for that sin to be removed, that wedge to be removed that was causing so much hostility from us towards God. And now by faith in the gospel, sin is removed and now we can move towards each other again. So he gives a greater grace. He says, folks, why are you fighting? Do you know why you're fighting? You're fighting because inside of you, you're wanting something more than you're wanting to serve God, to submit to his will, to serve rather than to be served. And this, is, this has got you all twisted up. And really, you've offended God by your desire and your pursuit for these fleshly things, these physical things, rather than just giving in everything and living your whole life for God and his glory. And it's so offensive to God, he compares it to adultery. And, and, and right at that moment where you feel like you're going to be smashed by that reality, he says, but God has provided a greater grace. 2 Corinthians 5 says this, Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. See, Christ is did not let the offense of our sin stop him from giving us the generosity of his grace. He went first. And so the grace he gives is greater than our sin. It actually has the ability to not only forgive our sins, but to free us from sin's control over our passions and desires. His grace is greater than our passions. As strong as those desires are inside of us that we believe are so right, and if we could fulfill them, it's gonna bring us so much pleasure. As strong as those desires are, He gives a greater grace. And His grace, when we receive it, can begin to replace the passions that are inside of us that are sinful and that are gonna lead to relational conflict. And His grace will also help us remove the stubbornness we have to say, me first but we have to receive that grace. We have to stay under that grace. Our willingness to actually show grace to other people in the midst of a fight is directly gonna be tied to the amount of grace we believe we've received from God. Your willingness to show grace in the midst of conflict is gonna be completely connected to how much you view God's grace has impacted your life. What does that mean? Peacemakers in a relationship realize and admit their failures and their need for help. This isn't just when they first believe for salvation, but every day as they continue to walk towards the Lord, they say, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I need the Lord as much today as I did the first day I believed, and I'm going to need him tomorrow even more. And when I think about my my repetitive sin and my tendency to fail him and to fall down, I just remember that there's no condemnation now for me in Christ Jesus because I'm in Christ. He has forgiven all my sins and his spirit has sealed me but I need him more and more. I need him to continue to refine me, to continue to to prod that process of what's called sanctification, of him changing me from this sinful person who was so focused on self to being more like Christ, who came down and said, I'm not here to be served, but to serve and to give my life for many. Christ wants to do that. But those who typically don't show grace in the midst of a fight, who don't show generosity and graciousness to other people who've offended them, are typically those who struggle with themselves. They're proud. They actually don't think that God needed to give too much grace to them. They need a little bit, but they had most of it covered. <laughs> it's true. See, forgiveness and grace doesn't make sense to anybody who has not received forgiveness and grace. Why would I forgive? Why would I show you grace? Unless I have been completely radically impacted by the amount of grace and forgiveness that has been shown to me. And we won't understand that unless we see that statement, you adulterous people. And understand that when we are fighting, we're actually fighting against God. We're rebelling against his ways. And yet He has given a greater grace. And when we begin to sit under that grace... We begin to be reconciled to god and this is what erwin Lutzer says in his book when you've been wronged about this he says the more fully we are reconciled to god the more fully we want to be reconciled to others no matter the cost mm-hmm. so for those of you who are this morning feeling stuck in a relationship that's just been fighting you've been at odds maybe for so long and you're like i don't see a way out of this i don't know how to overcome this I feel like if I touch that, if I try to engage my spouse, or I try to engage my friend, or I try to engage my family, it's just going to blow up again. I believe we should look to reconcile with the Lord, to, to draw close to him first. Last week, I used the, the, the three terms of going upward first, then inward, and then outward. And that's what I think James is alluding to as well. And so he says, God gives a greater grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. And pride is one of those things that drives conflict and relationships. So this is when we're gonna get really practical as we kind of wrap up this morning. I think we all want relational harmony. I don't think anyone who is wanting to honor Christ and wanting to live out the life that Christ has provided, wants to be in conflict. I think those who like chaos and those who like conflict are not being driven by the spirit, they're being driven by the flesh. But here's what I believe James is gonna highlight for us, is that harmony for two starts with humility in you. And pastors are supposed to rhyme so points really stick, that's why I said that like that, okay? Harmony for two starts with humility in you. Remember, every time we see in scripture the word therefore, what the author is saying, in light of what I've just said, this is how you should respond. And we see that word clearly here at the beginning of verse 7. So James has just highlighted for us. The reason that you fight is not because that other person is so terrible. They might be terrible. They might be flesh-led. But the real reason there's a fight is because two of you now are locked in and in a battle for your wills. so he goes on to say, this is the reality and actually your problems with God, but God has given a greater grace. So here's how you should respond. Verse seven, therefore submit to God, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. I believe humility here, he kind of packages, well, what is humility then? What does it look like to to, to move forward in humility rather than in selfishness? If humility is is the response to conflict, if humility is the next step that I need to take to try to let that conflict dissipate and to be able to work towards reconciliation, what do I need to do to be humble? Not just to think I'm humble or say I'm humble or try to be quiet. Well, he says humility equals submission, resistance, And repentance. See, humility is not self deprecating. It's seeing yourself rightly as God sees you. Sometimes we think, we mistakenly think, well, humility is just saying, okay, well, I'm terrible. I'm wrong. You're right. I'm the worst. You know, sometimes we'll say those types of things just to get out of conflict. That's not humility. No, humility is seeing yourself as God sees you. How does God see you? A sinner saved by grace. Now he sees you as holy and blameless, but he sees you as one needing to be led by the spirit because that old man, that old flesh is still trying to take you down. And you still have the potential, even though you've been set free from the power of sin to give into that sinful nature and to still live in a sinful way that's going to live out the works of the flesh that's gonna lead to death, lead to hurt, lead to pain, lead to conflict. So the first thing he calls us to is to submit. This is the upward process here. Submit to God. It's the first thing he says. If you find yourself in conflict and now you realize, whoa, this isn't just about them. I gotta do some things here. The first thing you should do is to go upwards. That's submit to God. He's literally saying, abandon your passions and desires. Abandon being right. I remember being in a conversation one time where someone had come to me and was saying, hey, so-and-so is kind of bothered by something you did. And, and I was like, well, Okay, I, I don't feel like I, I did that, but I mean, they can come to me. I, I don't know what I, if I really should make a big deal about this. And this person says something to me, I'll never forget. He said, oh, yeah, you can do that, but would you rather be godly or right? How about you today? Are you more focused on being godly or right? Right. And just so you know, I already anticipated there wouldn't be a lot of feedback with this sermon because it's pretty hard stuff, but uh, just believe me, I've been convicted myself this week. I, I tend to be a guy that can get easily distracted on being right more than being godly. It's a miracle what God's doing in my life. The second thing he says we need to do if we're going to be humble is resist i this is really interesting to me because that word resist that he says resist the devil it doesn't just mean like kind of ooh bad push him off no literally resist means get ready to fight it says to to oppose to stand against to be hostile towards resist the devil well why would he say that well remember earlier what's the devil been doing to mankind since the beginning of humankind? you can't believe god you can't trust him do he really say that? Man, he's so restrictive. There's actually a better way. The devil continues to throw those darts at us. He says, resist the devil and he will flee. The devil's schemes haven't changed. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, listen again to what it says here. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist, there's that word, in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. I think what James is saying here is when conflict arises, the first thing we need to do is we need to look upward and we need to submit to God. But the second thing that we need to do is we need to be able to be ready for those outward attacks from the enemy that are gonna try to get us to live out those passions and try to convince us that our way is the right way rather than saying, I wanna submit to the godly way first. But the third thing he calls us to, I believe, is repentance. Repentance in scripture means to turn away from something that's sinful to turn back to God. It's a 180 degree degree turn. And this is that inward part. We submit ourselves to God and then we, we look inward and we invite God to change inside of us what needs to be changed to to allow this conflict to diminish. He says this in verse eight, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. When we do this, we find the grace needed to overcome our sinful passions that are driving conflict. When we draw near to God, it helps us respond rightly to our spouse. But then look what it says, cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What does he mean there? What James, I believe James is saying there, is he's saying you need to abandon this double affection that you continue to carry around. Where you're trying to love this person, but you're also trying to love yourself. It's dividing you and it's dividing your relationships, it's dividing your household. Cleanse yourself of that. Lay down all of your desires. Stop being double-minded. He's calling us to do this, not as a concession, but as an intentional choice. He's not saying, hey, lay this down. And you're like, okay, I'll, I'll lay it down. He's saying, no, I'm committed. I, I, I'm not going to live for, for these pleasures and these passions. I'm going to live for Christ. I'm gonna, oh, that's my heart's desire. That's what I want to cling on to. This is not just me passively giving up. No, it's choosing to serve God before I serve myself. so I want to leave you with this, unity in marriage doesn't just happen. It has to be fought for. I love this quote from Kerry Newhoff. He says this, every family fights, but there is a world of difference between when you fight with somebody and when you fight for someone. When you fight with someone, you want to win. When you fight for someone, you want that person to win. When you fight with people, walls are built up. But when you fight for people, walls come down. We fight with people, relationships are jeopardized. When we fight for people, relationships are prioritized. The Bible says there are three enemies that are constantly trying to take us down. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The flesh wants what it wants. The devil wants you to fail. And the world wants you to believe that every relationship is really contractual. But God gives a greater grace. He gives us the gospel that frees us from the control that sin has over our passions, that gives us new passions, that can protect us now from those darts that come from the enemy and has given us the ability to choose to lay down our lives for our spouses. We have to fight for it. We have to be on guard. We have to be ready that conflict's gonna try to come and we have to be ready to respond to it in a biblical way. Eugene Peterson said this, all the water in the ocean cannot sink a ship unless it gets inside. I think for us Christians, the Bible says in Proverbs 4 to guard our hearts above all else to not let these desires and these, these issues, these irritations get inside and begin to grow in us a root of bitterness that leads to more conflict, but we can see it and respond in a godly way. Every one of us fights. The question is, what are you fighting for? Are you fighting for your marriage or are you looking to win a fight over your spouse? Would you pray with me? Father God, I I come to you now and I ask you to help us process what your word is teaching us. And God, it's easy for us in the midst of hardship where we have been hurt by someone, when we have been treated in a way where it just doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel fair. God, I pray that you would use your word today to remind us that Conflict is different than offense, and yet we can get offended and hurt and, and all these things. But it's how we respond in those situations, Lord, that you're calling us to consider. God, I thank you so much for giving greater grace. I thank you so much for delivering us from this propensity we have inside of us to, to fight and wage war for the things we want. And God, I pray that you would continue to draw us to yourself as as we'd lean into you, that you would replace those desires with your desires and you would cause us to lay down our offense and trust ourselves to you and know that there is nothing that we need to fear or work for. We can trust you with that and you will guide our steps. God, thank you for giving us a grace that leads us to harmony. Help us to pursue that more than our own way. I pray this in your son's name. Amen.